summer's been going well. It's been incredibly busy here around the church. Does anyone else feel like we're two weeks out from Labor Day and we just crossed Memorial Day? You know? It's like we just like hit the fast forward button and suddenly it's August 19th and school's starting back up and we're like, are you kidding me? Where'd summer go? You know? Scientists actually said that July was the hottest month on record here in America. And if you spent any time outside, you were like, I completely agree with that. It was ridiculous, wasn't it? You know, we've been looking forward to the fall just all summer. And we just thank you here at the church for those of you who signed up for the servant team. I mean, we had double the amount of people we were looking for. And it just shows how grateful we are and, and how much you've agreed to uh, journey as a body and journey with us and uh, do this together as a church. And we're so looking forward to what the Lord has for us this fall. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever come across a passage, of, a passage of Scripture that seems to just get a hold of you and won't let go? And what I mean by that is, and that's great, a lot of you raised your hand already, and what I mean is, is you, you come across a, a text and the next day it's, it's time to move on and you just can't seem to let go of that last one. And you just kind of spend another day in that one. And then the next morning, maybe you open up your Bible again and it's, it's time to go on. you just like, Lord, I just want to spend a little more time here. This is so good. You know, that's been happening to me more and more over the last six, seven, eight months. It happened specifically in Romans 12 back in May. And I, I spent an inordinate amount of time just in Romans 12 and about 11 verses. I just want to read a couple for you here The the top of that, the subject in my Bible says, Marks of the True Christian. And he's describing what it looks like to uh, have life in Christ. And he says this, he says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. I love this verse here. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And then Paul continues in the same vein for about seven more verses, just kind of casting vision for those he was writing, writing to in Rome about what their life in Christ can and probably should look like as the sanctification process occurs of becoming more and more like Jesus. And he's laying out for them this picture of what their life can look like. As I read that, and there's a couple others, my heart just begins to burn for my life and for us as a church and for your life that that could one day describe us. I begin to picture and imagine what would, what would our body, our community look like here if we could say those things about ourselves, that we loved one another with brotherly affection and we outdid one another in showing honor. How incredible would that be? So I get stuck there and the Lord just begins to stir this passion in me. And... Um, We'll just, yeah, we'll switch this. Um, so I got this kind of storm brewing. And then I go on this trip to India. And if you've ever been, you know India is a wild place. And, and we went with this ministry, this organization called Gospel for Tribals. And I went with Christian Heritage School, which is right down the road. And about almost 30 of us went. And this organization does everything from orphan care. They've got about a couple thousand orphans underneath their wing that they take care of. They have schools for them. They have homes for disabled children, homes for uh, elderly. They have kind of leper colonies that they work with. 
And so we got to taste all these different ministries. It was really incredible. Things as fun as teaching English, and the kids are trying to replicate your diction, and they're not quite getting it right, and they're giggling and laughing because we sound silly, but in fact they sound silly trying to say our words. (laughs) To things as intense as kneeling down and and serving lunch in a leper colony and, and feeding lepers who are suffering from the disfigurement of that disease. And so this, this, stay up here, this team, we had a great trip. But you know what marked me most? As I came home and, and we had spent time with the gentleman who oversees the entire organization, a guy named Pastor Jacob. And I tell you what, what marked me most was seeing this gentleman, watching him love his family, watching him love these children, watching him serve all of those around him, those on his staff. And I had never met anyone who so closely resembled what I picture how Christ would live here on the earth. And so I just said, man, I want that. I want my life to look like that. I want people to see me and see Christ in me. If there's more to be had, there's more to be had of the Christian life, I want it. And I remember the couple days after I get back, I sit in Larry's office and I'm telling him about this stuff. And I just said, Larry, I'm going to go into a season of where I'm intentionally going to go after it. I'm going to intentionally pursue Christ in a new way. I'm going to get up early in the morning, put the time in, get in the scriptures even more diligently. So I began to do that. You know, I came across Colossians 3, and that's very similar to what we see here in Romans 12 as Paul is painting this picture of what life in Christ look like, looks like. And as I'm reading these various passages, there's one phrase that continues to jump off the page. And I read it in Romans 12 already. Verse 12, Paul writes, Be constant in prayer. And that really should be rendered or translated, be persistent or be devoted to prayer. He writes it again in Colossians 4.2 where he says, Continue steadfastly in prayer. In 1 Thessalonians 5, he writes, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so we've got this instruction in several places to devote ourselves to prayer. And there's a part of me that wants to think, well, he must have been writing to people who maybe lived kind of like a monk where their life was really centered around spiritual things. But you know who he's writing to is just common folks like you and me. Folks who have families and jobs and schedules and deadlines. And yet he doesn't write, try and pray more. He writes, be constant in prayer. And these are people, like I said, who have jobs. So he's not telling them to spend their entire day at the church praying. But he's telling them to spend their entire day praying no matter where they are. And let prayer be a constant throughout the day. So I began to think about this. I began to think, what would that look like? What would it look like to be constant in prayer? To be devoted to it? And if I was honest, as I began to just look at my own life, I just said, that's not really what my day looks like. And I don't know if maybe, maybe you see some of this in yourself as well. You know, I'm pretty good about having quiet time in the morning and spending some time in prayer there. I even write some stuff down, journal a little bit, but But if you were to ask me, hey, Mike, do you spend your entire day in prayer? That, there's no way I can say yes to that. That answer is pretty emphatically no. And so I began to realize that my theology about who God was 
and what he says and what he instructs, in the way I'm living my daily life, there's a big gap between those two things. Because on one hand, I believe that God is omnipresent. And that's just a fancy word to say God is all present. It's one of his character. It's in his character. It's part of his nature. That there's, if, if I'm in America, God is here. If I go to a different country, he's still there. I can't escape from him. Everywhere I go, God is there. And the Bible tells us that because of our faith in Jesus, he literally dwells in our heart. And that's where we get the phrase, ask Jesus into your heart. Is that the scriptures tell us that Christ literally takes up residence in our hearts when we put our faith in him. And this sounds elementary to you, and this is something I would have agreed to in my head for a long time. But truthfully, it really hadn't made the jump from here down into here. Let me just read a few different passages that kind of speak to these things, just for foundation's sake, so we're all on the same page. In Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10, David writes this, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. In Romans 8.10, Paul writes this phrase. He says, Christ is in you. He's talking to believers. In Matthew 28, the very end of the chapter, we see what we call the Great Commission. At the end of that, Christ makes this promise. And he says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then the last one I want to read for you is Ephesians 3.17. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that, and catch this, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Okay, so if it's true that on this hand, I believe that there's nowhere I can go where God is not, and at the same time, no matter what I do and where I go and who I'm with, Christ is dwelling in my heart and therefore is with me, that dramatically changes things. No longer can I try and just pigeonhole Christ into my quiet time for an hour. No, that means he's the constant throughout my entire day. So when I get up in the morning, he's with me. If I go out for a run before work, he's with me. So I spend my day here at the church, if I'm in meetings, if I'm with someone, if I'm planning out some worship stuff, he's with me all the time. I, I can't get away from that. And if that's true, then I'm a pretty lousy companion. If Christ is with me, no matter where I go, and I spend this much of my day communing with him and talking with him and acting as though he's with me, I'm probably similar to what some of you have experienced with someone with their cell phone. You ever hung out with someone and spent the day with them? And you're looking forward to, to just talking and laughing, but what happens is they're doing this all day, tap, 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 and they're texting other people, and they're chuckling along, and they're so happy, and you're like, we're hanging out, not you and that person. Hello. You know, maybe you make a joke, and you hear him chuckle, and you're like, mental high five to myself. That was a good one. And you're looking at them, and then they go, oh, I'm sorry, did you say something? And you're like, why I oughta. That's in a sense what I feel like I've been doing with Christ, because if, if he's been with me all day, and yet I don't spend any time with him, I don't live in that reality I'm just ignoring him all day long. And so I did this exercise. 
I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to live this entire day, these 16 hours I'm awake or whatever it is, as if Christ is literally walking beside me all day long. And so I got up in the morning, opened up my Bible and, you know, came to something that was cool. And I just said, Jesus, this is cool. Thank you. And I came across something difficult and I said, I don't really know how to understand this. Would you give me wisdom? As I drove here to the church, I just said, Christ, I've got some meetings today and I really just need your discernment. I need your wisdom. Help me to respond in grace and in love. I drove home. I just said, thanks for just the opportunity to work today. Thank you for this job. Thank you just for the opportunity to serve here at the church. We had dinner and we just said, Jesus, thank you for this food. Thank you for providing it. Went to bed and I just said, Christ, thank you for for being with me today. Thank you for your presence. You know what? In reality, that's exactly what should happen. Because the exercise that I went through of, oh, how would I live? What would it look like if I lived as if Christ was with me? Is actually the reality of my life. Christ literally is with me. Not in some metaphoric sense, like you can tap into the spirit of Christ. No. The scriptures tell us plain and clear that he dwells within us and thus nowhere we can go that he is not. And so I just said, what if, what if we begin to live in that reality? What if, I just, what if I just began to live that way as if Christ was with me everywhere I went? What would life look like? Now I'm talking about moving to a place where all throughout our day we have inner conversation going on with Christ. Prayer, constant prayer. A conversation in which we talk to him about what's going on. We ask him for wisdom when we need to make a decision. We ask him for patience when it's needed on the merit. We ask him for patience when we're speaking with someone and we're getting frustrated. We thank him throughout the day for his many blessings and graces in our lives. And just all day long, we have just a continual conversation going on with him. And I think what I'm describing is I can best understand it is what Paul calls constant prayer. I believe it's not only possible, but in fact, he commands us to do it in three or four different places. And so if, if he's willing to write about it several times, and I think it's important that we take note of it. So let me tell you how I've gone about this. So I set my alarm. Let's say it gets off at 5, 5.30. My first thought is, how can it possibly be 5 a.m. already? But my second thought, sometimes, is I'll just... I'll just say, Jesus, thank you that no matter where I go today, no matter what I do, who I'm with, that you're with me, that your presence is with me. Help me to live in that reality and help me to remain aware of you all day. You know, I decided to start just keeping just a little wooden, uh, just a little wooden cross in my pocket. Nothing fancy, nothing special about this, but you know what it does? Is every time I feel it there, it's just a little reminder. Pursue the presence of Christ. I put a little sticky note on my, com- on my computer monitor. And it just says one word. It just says pursue. What I'm trying to do is develop patterns in my life that will keep me thinking on Christ. And the root of all of this, in its most simple, simplest form, is that I want me and I want you and I want us to develop what some call the holy habit of thinking of him often. You know, one author says it more poetically. He says, we have to build a chapel in our hearts where God can be adored all day long 
despite our busy schedules. And so Christ's presence is with us wherever we go. It's with us where we work. It's with us in our hobbies. It's with us in the things that are fun and in the things that are frustrating. You know, I've seen this recently is, is I, uh, I was golfing a couple weeks ago, and I had literally donated probably half a dozen balls to the forest next to the golf course. And I was, like, getting frustrated, and I can feel kind of that angst welling up, and I'm like, you've got the whole course to play. Why are you playing in the woods? And I'm just like, I can sense it just welling up, and I'm like, ah! And it's not good. It's not pretty. And so I say to my dad, you know what? If I can't figure out how to just enjoy this day without being frustrated, it's probably not worth it. You know, it was so bad that a week ago, my grandma and grandpa uh, took me and my brother out golfing. And my grandma's like four foot ten, ninety pounds, really sweet. We come to the end of the round, we got one or two holes left, and she drives up in her car all nice and just says with a big smile, Yeah, it's a good thing you guys don't buy expensive golf balls. And like <laughs> Zip it, grandma. That'll do. And I'm like, Ooh, did I say that out loud? Sorry, sorry. So you know, we played recently. And we stood on the tee box. I just said, we're going to pray. And I said, Jesus, I believe that you're with us even as we golf. You're with us. So would you just help me to live in that reality? Let my attitude honor you. Let me be thankful and grateful this entire time for the blessing of spending time with people I love, playing a game that's fun with a couple bucks in my pocket that can pay for this. And you know what? He did. And it was great because I invited him and his presence into the daily rhythm of life. And that's what I'm talking about. How do we invite Christ into our daily rhythms of life? We don't just leave him in our quiet time, but we say, no, he's here and I'm going to live as though that's actually true because we believe that it is. And so I think there's just three things I want to highlight. There's a whole host of things that Christ will do in our hearts if we begin to adopt this. But there's just three I want to highlight for you. The first is that sin becomes all the more repulsive to us when we realize that Christ is with us in every moment. All of us know the frustration of trying to conquer something and just falling to it over and over. Maybe it's an external thing that you mess up. Maybe it's an internal attitude like jealousy or anger or pride. We all know what that feels like to fall over and over and say, Jesus, I know I've asked you for forgiveness for this before, but would you provide it yet again? And I think the disciples and Paul write about this and they say, you know what, the way you go about moving to new levels of holiness is you set your mind on Christ and then it makes those things repulsive to you. Paul writes this in Romans 13. Pick it up in verse 12. He says, The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. And then he says, Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. It can also be translated, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, live in that reality. Set your mind on Christ so that in the moment of temptation, you think on Him and you don't think on the temptation itself. He writes this again in Colossians 3. He said, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. 
The disciples and Paul wrote that to effect true, lasting change, we set our hearts and our minds on Christ. There was a man named A.W. Tozer who was a pastor in the early to mid-20th century, and he wrote what has kind of become a Christian classic called The Pursuit of God. And he writes about this very subject and says it much better than I could, so let me just read what he writes. He says, The man who has struggled to purify himself and has had nothing but repeated failures will experience real relief when he stops tinkering with his soul and looks away to the perfect one. While he looks at Christ, the very things he has so long been trying to do will be done within him. It will be God working in him to will and to do. Christ changes our minds and changes our hearts as we set our minds and our hearts on him. And we become more like him as we invite him into all of our life. Second is this. I I think he'll really speak into insecurities and fears in our lives. You know, all of us know that feeling of failure and just that feeling like I'm not good at anything. You know, I made this mistake at work again. But instead of wearing that like a burden and feeling I'm not good at anything, God, you didn't make me good at anything. We turn our conversation and we just say, God, I feel like I'm not worth anything. I feel like you didn't give me any gifts and allow him in that moment to just bring scripture to mind. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork created in Jesus Christ to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do allow him to speak that to you and calm your soul but if we don't invite him into that moment we don't give him a chance to speak that truth from his scripture to us do we maybe you're racked by the guilt of past mistakes and you're tempted to wear that you're tempted to think on what maybe you've failed in the past and think that God can't use you, give that to him in that moment and let him again speak his word to you. Hebrews 10, their sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. When we invite him into that moment, we allow him to speak the truth of his word for us and to us. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. The third thing I just want to highlight is I think he gives us a supernatural peace that just goes through everything in life. What I mean is a confidence that no matter what comes, that God will walk with us and he'll walk with us through it. When difficult moments come, we've all had happen where we we look back and we say, you know what, I carried this anxiety for three days before I finally stopped and turned and said, I trust you, God, and felt his peace come over us. What if we did it in that moment and saved ourselves, just the anxiety and the worry, and just allow him to say, my child, I promised in my word that I will never leave you nor forsake you, and I will not do so now. That's what conversation with Christ will yield. Now, I'm not saying that we have peace because once we have God on our side, nothing's going to happen, that things won't go bad. We all know that is not true. Listen, a lot of us were there. I I sang at a funeral for a 12-year-old girl on Tuesday who loved Jesus and passed away of cancer. But I watched her parents with poise and hope and confidence stand up and say, we will see you again. 
That's the hope that we have. And that peace undergirds everything. And that peace comes from a relationship with Christ. You know, some of you might think that what I'm saying is, you know, this pursuing the presence of Christ in our daily life should be our only way of trying to grow as believers. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm not saying this takes the place of, of morning devotions, time in his word, getting to know him better. Spiritual disciplines like fasting and being a part of a community, those things are incredibly important. But this pursuing the presence of Christ, that's what weaves them all together. A.W. Tozer speaks again to this. Let me just read it for you. He says, I don't want to leave the impression that the ordinary means of grace have no value. They most assuredly have. Private prayer should be practiced by every Christian. Long periods of Bible meditation will purify our gaze and direct it. Church attendance will enlarge our outlook and increase our love for others. Service and work and activity, all are good and should be engaged by every Christian. And then he says this, But at the bottom of all these things, giving meaning to them, will be the inward habit of beholding God. A new set of eyes, so to speak, will develop within us, enabling us to be looking at God while outward eyes are seeing the scenes of this passing world. That's what pursuing Christ's presence in our daily lives and the rhythms, habits of life will do for us. You know, I said to Brittany a couple nights ago, I just said, you know, I feel like we've got something we can talk about for 10 weeks and we've got to squeeze it into 30 minutes. And that's so frustrating when you feel like there's so much more you could talk about and describe and trying to get people to latch on to. So at the end of the service, I just want to put up a couple resources for you if you want to go further, if you want to learn more about this, and please, please do. I just put some books up there, and and after we finish singing, they'll be up there. And I would just love if those of you who the Lord is kind of pricking your heart on this, that you'd be willing to maybe investigate that. I'll tell you this. You know, I, I grew up in a Christian home, but really it's been the last 10 years that I've really walked closely with him. And I'll tell you, these six weeks of going after this idea of pursuing the presence of God have changed me more than anything in the last ten years. I don't say that lightly. So if you fear the Lord, if you feel Him just kind of knocking on your heart, I just don't let this go. I believe it's what He has for us. It's what the Scriptures tell us. It's what... He wants for us a deep relationship with Him in everything. Not just a Sunday Christian who comes to church, but a Sunday to Sunday Christian. And He's involved in our work and in our lives and in our families and wants to speak His truths to us if we'll only let Him. So we're going to move just to a time of worship now. I invite the worship team up. Let me just say this in conclusion. You know, if you're not a follower of Jesus... Some of what I've said today probably sounds a little bit foreign, probably sounds a little bit different. And, and this idea of walking with Jesus on a moment-by-moment basis might sound a little bit odd. But if you hear one thing today, I just want you to hear this. I want you to hear that the God who created both you, as it tells us, he knit you together in your mother's womb, also created the cosmos and knows you and loves you in a more deeply and intimate way than you can ever imagine. Christ Jesus died on the cross for us to make a way so that our relationship with God, the gap could be bridged. That's what is offered to you today. It's the most perfect and incredible relationship you'll ever know. 
to be loved for who you are, not for what you do, is what all of us long for in our hearts. Don't let another day go by without beginning to ask questions of God. God, do you really love me? Is there any chance this thing is true? And if you're a follower of Jesus, I won't promise you that this is easy. I can't tell you how many times I've come to the end of the day and I've just been like, ah, Jesus, I talk to you like for 30 seconds all day long. Would you forgive me? And you know what? His mercies, Scripture tells us they're new every morning. And we get to get up the next day and try it again. The more we get to know Him, the easier this will become. The Bible says, Bible says, where your treasure is, there also is your heart. And so as Christ becomes ever more our deepest treasure, our hearts will land on Him more and more often. Jesus describes this parable in Matthew 13 of a man who is walking in a field and trips on what turns out to be a great treasure. And it says he goes back to his house and he sells everything so that he can go and buy this field and thus inherit this treasure that he found. And that's what Christ is saying. He's saying, if you lay aside anything I'm calling you to lay behind, the treasure that you find in me will be more worth anything you left behind. I promise that. You know, my hope for myself, for my wife, for us as a church, for you as individuals, is that we would be an unsatisfied people. A people that says, God, if you have something for me, I'm not satisfied with anything but that. Jesus describes a kind of life in John 10.10 that he calls the abundant life. You know, there's a Christian life that we can engage in that just kind of limps into heaven. Or there's a Christian life in which we go after it with everything we are, and we come to the end of our lives and we say, Lord, I did everything I could for your kingdom. Do you ever think about the end of your life? I think about this a lot. I think about what am I going to wish I did if I'm sitting, maybe I'm sitting in a hospital bed and I'm I'm thinking back on the things in my life, and I'm thinking, what would I wish I would have done differently? I guarantee me and probably you, we're going to think, I wish I just gave more for Jesus. I wish I loved him more. I wish I just gave him more of my time and pursued him in a deeper way. And so if that's true, if we know that we're going to come to the end of our life and wish we did that, then let's do that now. The courage and the boldness to make those changes when we have opportunity to now. Let's not come back. Let's not come to the end of our lives and say, I was so concerned with the things of this world and not nearly concerned enough with the things of the kingdom. Would we be so bold 